Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning. Hey, we, uh, if you're a regular here, we're really glad you're here. And if you're a visitor here, we're very glad that you're here as well. We've got several people gone, as Patrick and Presley showed. We've still got the almost 40 people in Mexico. They come back late tonight. Uh, camp started this week, so we sent some kids off, a few off this morning from here, uh, about 8, 8.15 this morning. So we're really glad that all of you are here. A little bit more intimate, but, uh, but very good. And happy Father's Day uh, as well. Uh, now, for Father's Day, my family uh, all left yesterday, <laughs> left town. Uh, if, if you know me, then uh, you know I'm kidding a little bit, but it's true. If, if you know me really well, then you know why they left town probably. But uh, they, they're kind of taking a vacation, all my girls and, uh, and my wife, and, and, uh, and so they're on a trip all week. Uh, we're going to have VBS. We're really busy, but it's, it's so exciting, and, and many of you have you know, been in and out and on vacations and things, but, we're, but many of you are back today. Last week, Dale did a, a great job talking about uh, the middle part of chapter one, and he talked about how Christ is everything. Jesus is everything. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at the passage that Marty read for us. Christ is for everyone. Oh, I've, I've got to mention, I think, I don't know if this is true, Patrick told me that the whole Mexico group is watching the live stream this morning. So if you guys are, I really miss most of you, all right? So uh, just, just so you know. All right, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, imagine someone you don't know has a secret that they're going to tell you, and then they tell you, would you believe them or not? So it's something that's supposed to be a secret, something that's supposed to be a mystery. You don't know them well. They tell you, would you trust them? Would you believe them? Uh, and I, I think the thought that came into my mind is, is for Paul and what he's writing here in this, the end of chapter one, he, it, the Colossians don't know him. Uh, Epaphras does. And he learned it from Paul when he was in Ephesus, came back to Colossae. Paul has not been to Colossae. So most of his letters he's writing because he's visited there and he knows somebody. He's not visited Colossae yet. So, so they don't know who he is. And I thought of, if it would be like if, if I was running for president, and no, that, I mean, most of you probably wouldn't imagine that. Uh, someone else, okay? Someone else running for president, uh, and it's not an actor, and it's not an athlete, uh, not, you know, and, and maybe not a career politician. You just don't know who they are at all. And then they decide to run for president. You would want to know what, why should I vote for them? I don't know them. What, what's, you know, what, why would I vote for them? And so they have to tell you. They have to explain. It's kind of what Paul is doing here. You know, is he quali- are they qualified for the office? Uh, and just as Paul in this part, a little, this is a minor point in this section, he's explaining his sufferings, his servant, uh, why he serves the church. He's, he's trying to tell them, I, I am an apostle. This is why I have some authority to tell you what I think you know, you guys should do. And, and Patrick, two weeks ago, let us know that, you know, a problem had arisen among them, and that's kind of why he's writing the letter. But why would you trust Paul if you don't know him? I, you know, I thought of this, too. This is just, if, if social media was around during this time, Paul would have been toast. 
uh, he would have gotten raked over the coals by everyone, you know, because of the things he had done in his past. And even Christians would have said, no, blackball this guy. He wouldn't be able to teach or preach anywhere. So thank God that they didn't have social media back then. And, and Paul's presence among those that knew him changed their opinion about him. And he was able to share these things. So he's sharing about himself here, but it's, it's a practical reason. Um, this is something that they did in Paul's time. You know, if they get up and speak, then they want to say some of their credentials. And everything he says is the truth uh, in this passage, but you, is it, is it the whole truth? And, and I guess what I mean by that is something that we forget. Paul was a great man, great servant of God. And all of that is true. Was Paul a perfect person? No. Uh, and, I, and, and I know that, you know, ministers today were never put on the same level as Paul, but sometimes you think we're a lot better than we are. You know, our real lives, we still make mistakes. We still have struggles with our own family. Paul does too. I think of, one of the things I think of is uh, on Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas went. They took John Mark with them. And John Mark left in the middle of the trip and went home. And so when they were getting ready for the second missionary journey, Paul was like, nope, he can't go. I'm not taking him. Barnabas was the one who was like, yeah, I want him to go. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they went separate ways. And Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and they went different ways. And I'm just thinking, man, if I lived back then, I know I would have been a friend of Barnabas, but I'm not sure I would have been a friend of Paul. He, you know, he, he was driven. He did awesome things, but you know, there was probably some personality things about him that, you know, you maybe weren't sure about or that you may not have been drawn to. So Paul is talking about himself and his reasons for his apostolic authority and to these people he doesn't know. Doesn't mean he's perfect, but it does mean he's in a position. And, and what he shares shows that as well. So Second uh, Timothy 4.11, I, I do want to mention because this is after, later in Paul's life, after the breakup with John Mark, no, not taking him, he tells uh, Timothy, only Luke is with me, bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. So Paul realized he made a mistake. He realized that he was too hard on John Mark, and over the next several years of ministry and seeing John Mark do that and be with Barnabas, and he's like, okay, you know, Mark is helpful to me. And, and so he's like, his whole attitude changed about John Mark. So Paul was wrong about John Mark. He, he recognized it, and, and you kind of see that in his life. Um, if, if someone tries to tell you um, something that you, you know, may not know, you may not trust, you, you're, it's a mystery, it's a secret, and you're wondering not to believe them, then you're going to either base your trust on their reputation Maybe somebody you really know really well and trust really well says that you should listen to them. Or you've seen that in their life. Uh, they have served you. They have lived among you. They have shown love. They prayed for you. They've done all these things. Their actions have proven how they feel about you. And that's, that's kind of what Paul, so in many of Paul's letters, his actions have proven his relationship with them. In this case, it's more, hey, listen to Epaphras. Listen to the other things you know about Paul. Paul should be listened to here. Scott McKnight says about Paul's mission and vision uh, for the Colossians, he said it begins and ends with King Jesus. Uh, 
that's, that's why Patrick chose this theme, you know, crisis for all. Uh, and it begins and it ends with, with King Jesus. We've seen that in the passages like Dale did last week. Uh, and you'll also see it in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I won't talk about that because somebody else is going to do that in a couple of weeks. Paul starts off this first chapter talking about the people of Colossae. Then he spends most of the chapter talking about Jesus. Uh, and then this last section, he talks a little bit about himself and his ministry, but more about Jesus. It's almost like Paul is trying to exaggerate the importance of Christ, and he can't. It's like whatever you imagine, whatever you think of as far as Christ's importance in our lives and in our ministry and in salvation, you just can't, no matter what you say, it's not going to be an exaggeration. So that middle passage that we've read most of this chapter and elsewhere in Colossians, that's, I think that's what Paul is doing. Verse 24. So we'll, we'll look at that where, where we started for this week. Paul says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Paul talks a lot about suffering right here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll read this passage because if you don't know or don't remember everything that Paul has suffered, this is a good example. When he's talking about surfing, he says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. It's that experience that is enabling Paul to then tell the people that don't know him in Colossae, hey, here's, here's kind of my credentials. Here's my experience. Here's what I have done to serve the church. And, and so please listen. It's, it's, he's not saying, he's not trying to lift himself up because if you look at the broader context, his focus is on Jesus Christ. And later, even in the passage today, his focus is on Jesus Christ. So he's just kind of just trying to say this to say, this is how, how much I care about the church. Right? This, is, this is why I serve. I, I love Christ. I love the church, his church. This is what, I'm, what you guys mean to me. Please listen to what I have to say. Um, and these instances are not the only ones Paul suffered. Read through Acts and see how many times he was persecuted verbally. He was persecuted physically. All those ways that he mentioned and you, you're overwhelmed, and then you think, well, man, I haven't, I haven't suffered anything uh, compared to Paul. All right, let's move on. Verse 25, Paul says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. Uh, it's interesting that Paul feels like it's a responsibility, and it's not just because he's an apostle. Uh, we should feel that same responsibility too. If we know Jesus Christ in the same way, which we do, then we have the same responsibility that he had to do that. All right, so we'll move on. Verse 26, God has, uh, got, I'll read 25 again. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming an entire message to you. 
This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. So here's the secret. Here's the mystery. Uh, New Living Translation says secret. Most translations translate it mystery. The, the Greek word can, it can mean all of those things. Mystery, secret, hidden meaning. Uh, and it's, it's used 28 times in the New Testament. And almost every time it's talking about something that was talked about in the Old Testament. But the Jews or the people living in that time didn't fully understand. And now living in New Testament times after Christ has come, now we're beginning to see the reality. We're beginning to see the truth of this mystery, the things that have been secret, the things that have been hidden. And it's all about Jesus. Uh, Acts chapter 9, so this is Paul's mission. He, he, he uses this word mystery uh, when he's thinking about his, his mission. So specifically his mission, Acts 9, 15 and 16. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So we actually had a great class, Justin Hopkins led Bible class this morning and the adults talking about the end of Romans 8. We talked a lot about suffering and how, you know, when we're enduring that, how do we see God? How do we see God is still there with us? Being a Christian doesn't uh, keep us from suffering. But Paul, he had a little bit more to suffer than most Christians. And that was a part uh, from the very beginning God knew uh, and let Paul know that that was going to be a part of his ministry. So when Paul's talking about this mystery or this secret, he's talking about his mission, which is to understand that God's idea of salvation is for everyone. See, that idea was misunderstood by the Jews in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, they believed that the Messiah, or I mean, they believed that they were God's chosen people, but they really kind of misunderstood a lot of that. They, they believed that God would raise them back up, that he would make them and their nation uh, like it was under David and Solomon. Uh, and that's what they were longing for and waiting for. Paul sees the mystery revealed and said, no, that wasn't God's plan. Jesus did not come to do that as Messiah. He came to make it clear to the whole world that Jesus is for everyone. And Paul realizes that now. That's his mission. That's his ministry, to go to the Gentiles, to everyone who doesn't understand and, and reveal this mystery. And this was a little bit hard transition for the Jews uh, to accept because they've lived their whole life for generations misunderstanding, thinking that, yeah, they're, they're the people of God, but they kind of had this nationalism that, yeah, we are, and they, they didn't realize that it was God's purpose was for everyone. Um, look at this next slide. Uh, tell me who this is. Who is this? Anyone? No, you're wrong. It's Benjamin Franklin Gates. Okay, yes. It's uh, the, the actor is Nicholas Cage. You're right. But I'm talking about the movie National Treasure. So when I thought of this mystery being revealed, this mystery hidden for generations past, I thought of this movie. So I rewatched it this past week. It's actually got some pretty good quotes that fit along with, with this story. For Paul, living in the first century, growing up as a Jew, knowing the Old Testament, 
he kind of misunderstood it too. And he persecuted these Christians and he didn't accept Jesus as Messiah because it didn't fit in with what he thought. And there, maybe there was a little nationalism going on there for him too. But now because of Jesus Christ, it's all been made clear to him. This long mystery decades old has been revealed. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and Abraham, the promise to Abraham. So he's seeing the secret mystery. So let me give you a couple of quotes from the movie. This one, uh, the Freemasons believed the treasure was too great for any one man. Uh, it's mentioned a couple of times in the movie. And, you know, Nicholas Cage, Benjamin Franklin Gates, had this character that was like, I'm looking for this thing, but I'm not looking for this treasure for selfish reasons. Uh, treasure belongs to everyone. It's too great for any one man. That's what you know, Paul is understanding this treasure that we have in Jesus Christ is too great for any one person or any one group of people. It was meant to be shared by everyone. Um, and then at the end of the movie, uh, they found the treasure. Benjamin Franklin calls the FBI guy, Sandusky, this next slide. You'll see the picture of them. And he gives this quote in trying to explain himself. He said, there's thousands of years of world history down there. And it belongs to the world and everybody in it. And they're, they're having this conversation, you know, where the FBI agent says, you don't understand what a bargaining chip is, right? There's this treasure down below him that he found that is worth billions and billions of dollars. And, and he's like, Benjamin Franklin Gates is like, it's, for, it's, it's world history. It's for everyone. Everyone needs to share in this. I don't, I don't even necessarily want to keep it. And then he says, I just want to stay out of jail and stuff. But you can rewatch the movie. But this is how... The gospel is for us. I mean, it is for the whole world. Thousands of years of world history. This is what Paul's saying. It started with Abraham in Genesis 12. It goes through the Old Testament. It comes to the New Testament. And now the mystery has been revealed. And, and Paul is saying, that is my mission. Verse 27 of Colossians 1 emphasizes the points that Paul has just made. He says, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing in his glory. This is the mission of God. Good news is for everyone. The secret, Christ lives in everyone who believes in him. Uh, Jesus is the power that is in you. You can try to serve God on your own strength without Christ living in you, um, and you're going to fail. All the strength you can muster, all the energy you can muster, you're going to fail. You'll bounce uh, between burnout um, and, well, actually, I started reading this book this week uh, called The Crucifixion of Ministry, uh, and there's a couple of quotes that kind of talk about that. So. Let's look at that. Andrew Purves wrote this book, The Crucifixion of Ministry, and he has this quote, if Jesus is properly understood to be nothing more than a continuing moral influence, then it is up to us to actualize and achieve everything in faith, life, and ministry. What he's saying, if you read the broader context, he's not saying that is a proper understanding of Jesus. He's saying if this is what you think a proper understanding of Jesus is, that it's, he's just a moral influence, then it's up to us. It depends on us and our power and our energy. And then we're supposed to do everything we can. And he said, what happens is you, you bounce between guilt and burnout. You can't do it. You fail. You make mistakes. It doesn't work out the way you plan because you're doing it on your own strength. Uh, later in the book, Perf says this, Jesus is God active in the life of the world, in our personal lives 
and in ministry at every turn. Jesus is the living, reigning Lord and King. And if we understand that Christ, living, reigning Lord and King, lives within us, then we have the ability to serve. Then we have the ability to move on. And Paul talks about that specifically in these next two verses, starting in verse 28. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Everyone is the emphasis, all right? Uh, Perfect speaks of maturity, not sinlessness, uh, but it does speak of moral purity as Jesus taught. We can't lose sight of that. Paul didn't lose sight of that. I hope we don't lose sight of that today. And then in verse 29, he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard. So he's, he's saying, we, we, we. And then he comes back to first person and he gets a little more passionate and intimate. And he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard for the church and serving the church. But look at this next part. It's one of the most important parts depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. This is why I work and struggle so hard. So we have to work. We're we're called to serve. And yet, it's not by my might and power. It's depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Um, So again, Paul's sharing this, but it's about Christ. It's not about himself. You see it again in 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 10. Paul's writing 2 Timothy at the near the end of his life. He's about to die. He knows it. And he says this to Timothy, always remember that Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and I have been chained like a criminal, but the word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus. To those God has chosen. Paul wrote Colossians while he was in prison. He writes this to Timothy while he's in prison. He's had to endure many of these things. What about today? What about us? Do we suffer? Do our sufferings benefit others? Paul did not see his sufferings as a badge of honor or anything that made him higher spiritually. He just simply saw it as an act of service for all Christians. He's willing to endure anything if it brings somebody else closer to Jesus. We've got to have that attitude, folks. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in, in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't promise a life of ease. In fact, he promised the opposite. In this life, we will have sufferings. We will have trials, many. He promised that to Paul. He promises that to his disciples, his followers. We need to expect that and yet be willing to serve and sacrifice for one another. It's amazing um, how we can get all worked up about minor things, car problems, You know, on the other hand, you're like, do you have a car? You know, some people in the world don't do that. Uh, We can have air conditioning problems. And then somebody else can say, and we get all worked up and somebody else says, you have air conditioning? 
you know, we, we, we can worry about all of our doctor bills piling up and many people in the world would say, you get to go see a doctor? I hope if one of the things we get out of this passage and Paul's example is how blessed we are and how small sometimes our thinking is about these things and our troubles. Um, let's get that big picture and our priorities right. Um, understand what a blessing it is to serve and sacrifice for one another. Uh, so what sacrifices will we make? Are you willing to die for this? Are you at least willing to die to yourself, to your will? In other words, I'll do whatever God asks me to do, and I won't make my desires priority. Uh, I love Romans 12, 1 and 2, all of the chapter. Especially, I especially love it in the message, so read it here in the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is what Christ is saying. To, it's what Christ said in his letter to the Romans, which again is one of these churches that he hadn't visited. And this is what he's saying in his letter to the Colossians. I want you guys with your struggles and with the problems that have arisen to grow and mature in Christ. And here's how you do it. You learn to serve. You learn to sacrifice. You learn to think about others rather than about yourself. Um, let's face it. Most of us will never be put into the type of situations that Paul has had to endure. But we still need to make sacrifices. Uh, most of the time we have so many things available to us that we can't experience them all anyway. So what will you drop? What will you let go? What will you put away and not pursue to give you more time to serve Jesus Christ and his church? Okay, so if we're going to apply this lesson, Colossae was a young church, what's now Western Turkey, uh, there are few Christians there today. There's not a large Jewish president, uh, presence that, you know, is calling Christians to contend, pulling them back to the old way. That's a lot of this context. So how do we apply this message, Colossians chapter 1, this part of it, to our lives, 21st century America? Um, one of the things that I am really happy for is that Holy Spirit works through Paul. He writes this letter to the Colossians. It's inspired. They read it. They understand. And then they can decide what it means for them. And you know what? We can do the same thing 2,000 years later. We can, read, we can read this letter to the Colossians. And the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that lives within you, can decide, okay, God, what do you want me to do? What is it you want me to do right now? Uh, 
Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Uh, I skipped something that I think is really important. So if you could go back a slide. One of the things that I think we learned from Paul's example is this, the highest level of fulfillment is being used by God. A lot of times we don't think that. A lot of times we're searching for what fulfills us and we're searching for this and we're searching for that and we're you know, looking here and we're looking there and what we miss out on is the highest level of fulfillment is being used by God, is serving for God's purposes. And if you figure that out, then all your problems will become insignificant. Um, so that's why Jesus said, you've, you've got to give up your own way. Another example of that is John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 30, says this, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Jesus said it in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He said this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Take a moment to consider if this is the way we as followers of Jesus think today. This is what Jesus said. This is what Paul did. 21st century America, do we do this? Do we look to make God greater and greater? Do, are we willing to give up our own way and say, I want your will to be done and not mine? Um, it changes things. Um, when Personally, when I have done well in my life, it's because I was surrendered to God's will. And... When I have not done well in my life, it's because I wasn't totally surrendered to God's will and I was thinking more about my own. It just kind of seems to work out that way. Um, do we see the church as something we are to sacrifice ourselves for or do we tend to see the church as an institution that is supposed to bless us? Many people today go to churches because they want to be blessed. They want to receive a blessing. They want to be encouraged. And they look, it's almost like they're consumers looking for that. And that is not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is to serve one another. Look around you. These are the people that you are to sacrifice for. These are the people that you're to serve. We're not here to look and see what, what did I get out of today? What, you know, we're looking at what? other people uh, need and then we give up our own way and we sacrifice for them we're used by God and that's what brings fulfillment I'm going to invite the uh, praise team back up I think yeah yeah let's go ahead come on back up uh, I'm going to uh, finish with this passage 2 Timothy chapter 4 6 through 8 Shows how Paul believed he had finished his mission and finished his task. So again, he writes 2 Timothy at the end of his life. He knows he's about to die, and he says this. 
As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. We should have the same heart as Paul has. Um, we should have the same mission. We have the same mission. Are we fulfilling that mission in the same way? Uh, last week, I, I went to Tennessee. Uh, daughter was college orientation. My son, who lives down there, I went with him to his church Wednesday night. And the preacher has this unusual, well, maybe not unusual tradition. You know how some sports teams have a motto like up above the wall when they're leaving out for their event, whatever it is, and it's some motto and they slap it, you know, it's like to remember. He has painted on the stage, it's, it's kind of a larger church, and, and he comes backstage and right before he comes out to speak, he had painted on the wall this quote, Lord, I am your servant, spend me at your pleasure. That's Paul's attitude. And that leads us to the love of Jesus Christ on the cross is both our motivation for what he's done for us and the power, Christ living in you, for us to minister to others.